Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 1. By this time, it should be a well-worn area in your Bible. I think this is week 5 in Romans 1. And I definitely could have made 6. And we still might. We'll see. But our plan is to conclude at least this part of chapter 1. What we have, we've gone through the introduction... Paul's description of the gospel, that he is not ashamed of the gospel of of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. We we understand the concepts as, as Paul begins to describe himself to those around him. Now he begins to, to build. We see that the theme of the book, the theme of the book of Romans is righteousness by faith. And so if we want to understand the principles of righteousness by faith, then we begin with the condemnation of all creation. You remember when Jesus came? He said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. Do you understand why He said that? God's already declared condemnation. Jesus didn't come to condemn, He came to save. God declared in the Old Testament, the soul that sins shall die. That's condemnation. We are guilty. Every man, woman, and child. We are guilty of offending a holy God. And part of His holiness, not only is that the righteousness of God would be revealed in us, but that the wrath of God now is being revealed to us. We stand, men, women, in a position of having given offense to the Creator. Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 20 is the list of our guilt. Before He can show us the beauty of justification, being made righteous by faith, He shows us first our guilt. That we are guilty men. That we are a guilty people. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, listen to what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore also God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up 
to vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before You now and we see the the beginning of the beautiful painting of redemption, but before God You can work that that amazing, graceful, beautiful work of salvation, we have to recognize our need of a Savior. God, I pray, Lord, that our eyes will be open. That we recognize that the Word of God, Scripture, is given to us as a mirror. That it shows us our sin. It shows us that we fall short of the glory of God. So God sent His Son to bridge the gap. God, I pray that our eyes would be open and our ears willing to hear, God, the things that You lay out for us. Lord Jesus, that we might understand what it is You are calling us to and through as we give You glory and praise for this moment. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, here's how we begin. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. That's verse 17. Speaking of the gospel, in the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God. Now, when we look at verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Now, as we begin, we need to understand the wrath of God. The wrath of God in Scripture is the word orge. Orge is not thumios. Thumios is a hot flash of violent anger. That's also... uh, um, Translated as wrath. But orge, orge is a, a predisposed judgment. It's not a flash of anger. It's just a, a place where we find ourselves. A, a place where we see um, the judgment or justice for the wickedness of a guilty man. Simply deciding and defining us, mankind, as guilty. A settled and dispassionate matter. God's not flying off the handle when it says we are going to be revealing the, the wrath of God. He simply is telling us our guilt. You are guilty. John 3.36 tells us, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. 
He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath, orge, of God abides on him. The wrath of God. His guilt. We all know John 3.16, right? Well, flip over there to John chapter 3. and Let's take a look at that section of Scripture as Jesus has his meeting with Nicodemus at night. In John 3.16, the Word declares, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. But men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. When the scripture lays out for us that the world is condemned, it's the same concept as when we read the phrase, the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness. The word ungodly is, it carries the concept of, of, uh, without fear of the Lord. No reverence, no care. No, no attitude toward God. Shut off. It's closed. It's, it's closed completely. And the unrighteousness of men, who do what? The first thing he talks about is we take a look at this concept. The condemnation on those who have rejected the revelation of God. The first thing he talks about, he tells us right there in verse 18. Who did what? Who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. A lot of times people have uh, crazy questions, uh, often are worried for some reason about the pygmies in uh, the jungles of Peru. They're worried about what happens to them if, if nobody's told them. Fortunately, I've had an opportunity to be in Peru and to visit with many of the tribes in the area. And to tell you the truth, they're doing better than us for the most part. The scripture lays out that man is responsible for the revelation he has. You are responsible for the revelation you have. And as we receive the revelation of the light of Christ in our life, God gives us more light. And more light. And more revelation. But everything begins in nature. Look what the scripture lays out for us. They suppress... The truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now listen, what Scripture is saying is not that you need some kind of doctorate to understand how God is revealed in nature. I'm going to make it so simple, hopefully that we'll all be able to, to lay hold of it. Every morning when I wake up, and I look outside, and I see the beauty that is Idaho, I know I didn't make it. I know when I look at the clouds, or when I see the stars... Or when I take that deep breath of air, 
that I didn't make it. I know when I go to incredible places that you can see even more incredible beauty. I didn't make it. Which declares to me something bigger than me has been involved. I'm not asking you to get crazy. God says, I showed it to them. I've shown them that there is something bigger than them in the universe. When the Bible says they suppress the truth, it means they hold it down. In fact, it's spoken of another place as, as willful forgetfulness. Yeah, let's take a look over there. It says in Second uh, uh, Peter, flip over to Second Peter, chapter 3. I won't park there long, but we'll park there for a minute. When we talk about the suppression of truth, I think it's important for us to recognize this is not a passive suppression. It is aggressive. It is aggressive. We look at the, the miracle of life, the miracle of the universe, the beauty of the things around us. It screams that there is something beyond you and I. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. First, they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old. They forget, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the scripture is going to tell us that eventually they start coming up with their own ideas. It ta- calls it vain imaginations or the futile thoughts. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they try to define how all this happened. Now, throughout school and throughout my time uh, uh, going through college and all the things that I've been through, I've seen, I can't hardly keep up with all the different uh, theories. They change all the time. Uh, but here's the, the latest one that I heard from uh, Stephen Hawking. I don't know if you guys know who Stephen Hawking is. He's, some say he's the smartest man in the world, but he doesn't believe in God. So I'm not sure how that all works out. But anyways, Stephen Hawking was talking about the, the Big Bang. They have this ability, they say, to look at the universe and mathematically go back and find that it all began in an instant. Wow! Maybe he is the smartest man in the world, because the Bible says God spoke, and it was. Amazing. And he said, but he said, there's a problem with our Big Bang Theory, Stephen Hawking said. The Big Bang Theory won't work because space is dirty. There's, there's junk in space. It had to be a perfect vacuum, completely clean. So probably what there was was some kind of bubble in space. And inside this bubble began all of of the evolutionary process through a giant explosion. In the end of his book, he says, the smartest man in the world. Now some of them religious people are going to ask us where the Bible came, or where the Bible, where the bubble came from. Where, well, who made the bubble? And Stephen Hawking said, we just don't know. Let me tell you what you don't know. You don't even know if there was a bubble. The Bible says, in the beginning, before there was anything, when there was nothing, God spoke and things happen. 
And that's what they're discovering. But the Bible says that they suppress the truth, that they willfully forget. The problem is they don't want to have to accept that they would be responsible to a being you and I would call God, who created the, the universe, they would have responsibility to that being. They don't want to have responsibility to anybody but self. When self is God, then you kind of make up your own rules as you go along. They suppress creation and they suppress the flood. The evidence for the flood is overwhelming. It's all around the world. Every culture has a story of a global flood. It's kind of incredible when you start to do some of the research. And really, many of the things we see in creation can only be understood in the concept of a global flood. But they willfully forget because a global flood, once again, would point to the reality of God. But God says, listen, they are without excuse. I have shown them. They don't want to believe it. That's up to them. But I have shown them in creation that there is something bigger than them. And everybody knows it. They may suppress it, but everybody knows it. Everybody should understand that God is creator and sustainer. In fact, Psalms 19, listen to what it says about the power of God being seen. Remember, the scripture lays out for us, Since the creation of the world, His invisible things, attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. What is that? His eternal power and Godhead. That's what you can see. His power and His divinity. There is something bigger than me. And if that's something that is bigger than me was back before the beginning, then He is eternal. If He is eternal, He is divine. It's not hard to figure out. It's not hard to comprehend. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night. Line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoices like a strong man, to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The glory of the heavens declare the glory of God. It declares the existence of the Almighty. The presence of God can be understood. Acts 17. Paul talking to the Areopagus in Greece. He said this, God who made the world and everything in it Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. He's the sustainer. He's the creator. These things are clearly seen in nature, but they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth of creation. Of the existence of God. The argument that Paul's laying out here is called the teleological argument. It's the argument from design. That if we see design, then there is a designer. And so he says that design shows 
in essence, the reality of something bigger, something outside of us, something greater than us. So in it we see His eternal power and Godhead. Someone bigger than me made this, and I am accountable to them. I am accountable to my Creator who gave me life and sustains my life. I'm accountable to Him. In fact, he goes on to say this, It is evident through the things that are made, His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God doesn't need anything out of the Scripture to condemn mankind. Your own conscience, something that the philosophers call your judicial sentiment, condemns you. My who? They did what? Your judicial sentiment. You know that thing inside of you that gets righteously indignant when somebody does you wrong? You know, when you did something for somebody else and 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 in and, and some way they responded very negatively towards you? You know that judicial sentiment is in every human being around the globe? Doesn't matter about culture, society, everyone has it. Everyone has a judicial sentiment. Listen to the things. This is all that God would have to do. This is why man is an inexcusable. Listen. Is it not plain in nature that everything you have is a gift and you are dependent on your maker for life, for breath, and for everything? I didn't make them mountains. Well, I don't know. How about this? I know we got several farmers here. How's the water situation? Can you change it? That requires someone else, doesn't it? Something bigger than us? Something outside of us? Is it not evident in nature? Everything you have is a gift. And you are beholding to the maker for life and breath. And everything. Question number two. Did not the judicial sentiment of your own heart always hold other people guilty when they lacked the gratitude they should have had in response to a kindness you performed? If you did something good for somebody else and they did not respond with gratitude, don't you hold them accountable? Yes, you do. We all do. Every person around the globe does. Well then, question three is relatively simple. Has your life been filled with gratitude and trust toward God in proportion to His generosity and authority as creator and sustainer? Guilty. Period. Nobody had to come tell you about Jesus or justification, sanctification, glorification. Nobody had to give you a lesson on theology. You're guilty. You can choose to suppress the truth, right? I can stick it in a box and sit on the lid and say, nope, nope, I don't believe it. Nope, it's not there. I'm going to come up with all kind of other plans and ideas and things that set me free from my responsibility to be appreciative 
and have gratitude for the one who gave me life and sustains my life. And that is what Paul is talking about in this first section as he looks at the condemnation of men. They are without excuse. Why? Look at verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. First we have the suppression of the truth. Then we move to the perversion of the truth. Though they knew God, they won't glorify Him as God. There are several things he lays out in this section that we're going to take a look at. First, they refuse to glorify God. They refuse to give Him glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all how? For the glory of God. Do all to honor Him. Psalm 29, 1 and 2 says, Given to the Lord, O you mighty ones, given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord glory, do His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. But some will say, why is it that God needs glory? I mean, for crying out loud. Is He on some kind of an ego trip? Well, listen. What you love, you praise. What you love, you glory. I guarantee it. Today, all around the United States, people are glorying in two teams. Because they love them two teams. A whole bunch of other people have jumped on some kind of bandwagon. They're going to ride that bandwagon at least to halftime today. Then they might change. Flip over to the other bandwagon. We'll see. But they glory in what they love. Though they knew God, And that He loved them. That He gave us all of this. The beauty of every sunrise and sunset. The cool breeze to cool me off on a hot day. That couple of weeks where the frost was on everything. Even the barbed wire looked amazing. (laughs) Felt like I was in paradise there staring at it all. Every morning. That's all a gift from God. When you love God, you glory in Him. What is it that God asks us for in Deuteronomy? The great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Glorifying God is just an outward expression of love inside your heart. Though they knew God, and they knew the good He had given them, They refused to glorify Him. The second thing it says, they were unthankful. They were unthankful. Remember uh, judicial sentiment? You ever done something for somebody they were totally unthankful for? What did you do? Oh, you you were a little displeased, were you? Hmm. Luke 17, 11, it says, there's a story in Luke chapter 17, 11 and 19, the ten lepers. They call out to Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus says to them, well, go show yourselves to the priests. Okay. So they get up and leave. While they were on their way, they were healed. That's what the Bible says. 
It had to be something they knew, right? You guys know what leprosy is? Fingers falling off, you know, sores all over your skin. Lack of feeling. You can't feel in your extremities. So along the way, they discover, wow, we're, we're healed. And as they head their way to the priest, one of them stops and says, i got to go back. i got, I got to go tell him thanks. I'm sure the other nine said, wait, he told us to go to the priest. I don't know if we should go back. I don't know if we should or we shouldn't, but i got to go tell him thanks. So one in ten lepers went back, the only one who wasn't a Jew. He was a Samaritan. And he came back to tell the Lord, thank you. And the Lord looked around and said, where's the other nine? Weren't they also healed? But they were unthankful. They're trying to do their duty and be obedient. But they missed the one point that mattered most. They were unthankful. They didn't glorify God. They don't regard Him at all. They don't thank Him for the things that He does, how He moves and works in their life. What's the next thing it says? Then it says, But they became futile in their thoughts. They had empty thoughts. Vain imagination, wild ideas. What they did is they took what they saw of God in creation and they fitted in some kind of a theory or a box that removed God out of the equation so they wouldn't have to respond in love to Him, in kind to Him, or out of gratitude to Him. So their futile thoughts became darkened. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, But you have not so learned Christ. To reject the revelation of God is to see these things taking place. First the suppression of the truth, then the perversion of the truth. Futile thoughts that turn dark. And then what do we have? The professing professing of wisdom. Look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they become as fools. professing themselves. Hey, we got this all put together. We got it all solved. There's no need for God. That's a bunch of crazy myths all piled together. We know that that men created that document over a period of time. It's just foolishness to believe in it in any way, shape, or form. Just a long string of myths gathered together. You know, I think they tell themselves stuff like that until they believe it. By the way, that's dumb. Don't that the Bible's going to tell them they're dumb in a minute. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The fool says in his heart, No God. No God. Whether that's God don't exist or I don't care. I'm not doing what you want. It's the same either way. Professing themselves to be wise. The Bible. Hmm. Sixty six books. 40 authors, 
over 1,500 years, written from four different continents in four different languages throughout the span of time with one central message. God's redemption of man. Just a bunch of myths strung together. It's a little more than that. It's a little more than that. Nonetheless, they profess themselves to be wise. They, they throw out the truth. They suppress it. Then they, then they pervert the truth. And finally, they reduce the creator to the creature. Look what it says. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. They made God in their own image. Whether they're an atheist or not, all an atheist is is someone who has announced that they themselves are God. It doesn't make any difference. There is no God. We must save ourselves. It's the same thing. They're making God in their own image. They suppress the truth that can be seen that there is something bigger than me out here. Something that is has greater control over my life than even I have. To whom I owe my allegiance and gratitude and love. They suppress it. They pervert it. No, 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 no. And then they make it like man. They create God in the image of man. Or four-footed creatures or animals. Or snakes. You see a downward progression as you take a look at the idolatry of mankind. But ultimately all man does is then push out the need for God and create A God that they can get along with. One that allows them to live the life that they want to live. That allows them to do the things that they want to do. It's not new. Psalm 106 says, They made a calf in Horeb. Horeb is Sinai. And worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed the glory of God into the image of an ox that eats grass. And they forgot God their Savior who had done great things for them in Egypt. It's not new. It's a condition of mankind all along. That's why Paul is so easily able to point to it. We have the suppression of the truth, the perversion of the truth, and that leads us in the continuing downward spiral of mankind to the perversion of life. Once we suppress the truth, Once we pervert the truth, we change the truth into a man-centered idolatry. And that always leads to a dehumanizing of mankind. And the downward spiral continues. The scripture lays out for us, Therefore God gave them up. It's a sad phrase in the Bible, and it's going to be used three times in Romans chapter 1. Therefore, God gave them up. Therefore, God gave them up. Remember, Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. God will pour more of Himself, more revelation, more of Him in your life. However, if we delight in that which is opposite of God... It doesn't change the truth. God will give you up to what you want. 
If you want life without Him, you can have it. You want an existence without Almighty God, He'll give it. He gave them up. He let them pursue that which which they wanted, that which they desired. He gave them up to uncleanness. The word is impurity, and it always points to sexual immorality. Always. That Greek word, uncleanness, is talking about sexual practices. Here, in verse 24, we're talking about heterosexual sexual practices. Practices outside of the, of the realm of what God has intended for sex within marriage. Look what it says. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in what? The lust of their heart. <clears throat> their heart becomes a reflection, a refraction of the, of the hatred of God that they have. That disease fills their heart and it comes out in their life. The suppression of truth leads to the perversion of truth, leads to the perversion of life. And you do those things which are not fitting. In the lust of their heart, they dishonor their bodies among themselves. They dishonor their bodies. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us there is only one sin that affects your body. The Bible says all other sins are outside the body. Except for sexual immorality. That is a sin against your body. That means the effect of that sin wears on your body. There are effects. Things that happen to you. Things that happen in your body. They dishonor their bodies. They take what the body was created for and and what it was created to, to be and to do. And they distort it by suppressing the truth. Perverting the truth. Their life begins to go in a downward spiral. And in this downward spiral, we begin to see three measures, if you will, of depravity. Sensual depravity, mental depravity, and ultimate depravity. All speaking of the the depraved human being. That which occurs after suppression of the truth. The rejection of the revelation of God. The turning away from what God has (coughs) shown us of Himself. They dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchange the truth of God for the lie. Truth. They threw out the truth. And they cling to the lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. They worship and serve the creature. The creature becomes paramount. Paramount. It always blows me away. Look, I'm great. I save all the baby harp seals and the whales. I'm okay with that. I'm also, by the way, okay with saving babies. I don't understand why one is of lesser value than the other. Because it infringes on what? They have this downward spiral of depravity. Well, I want to be, I want to be a sensual person. I want to experience all the things I can in the sexual realm, but, uh, but I'm going to care more about the creature. That's what the Bible says than about the creator. It's going to matter more to me, the lives of animals, than it's going to matter about the lives of human beings. They throw it. 
They throw it out and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. So for this reason, the second time, God gave them up. The downward spiral continues. The depths of human depravity continues to go down. They are given up to vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. With men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves a penalty of their error, which was due. Vile passions. Unnatural desires. Unnatural desires. He's already spoken to us in the downward spiral, the depravity of man, of of sexual immorality in verse 24. Now he's going to bring it into focus into an area that is easy to see, that is outside of God's natural purpose. God's natural purpose for a husband and a wife is to procreate, to have children, and to raise up their children in the ways of the Lord. And that they would go and be married and have children and raise up their children in the ways of the Lord. That's the natural order. God's plan. All the way back to Genesis, you can see it. Natural order. So, to speak against that which is unnatural, he says... The vile passions, the unnatural passions, for even the woman exchanged, traded off, the natural use. You see the word use, that word use is only and always used in terms of a sexual nature. They gave up the natural use for what was unnatural. They exchanged the truth for a lie. And in exchanging the truth for a lie, they also exchanged the natural for what is unnatural. Scripture goes on to tell us, likewise, in exactly the same manner, men also, leaving the natural use of the woman burned, literally that's burned out, cannot be satisfied, driven, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error that is due. Look, the time's going to come when people aren't going to be able to talk about what that says. But it's not all that confusing, is it? Really shouldn't be. It's talking about the depravity of man. Anytime we talk about the depravity of man, we'll talk about sin. Anytime we talk about sin and, and sins are being discussed, homosexuality is going to come up. It's a sin. It's a sin. Committing what is shameful is wrong. It's against God's natural order. Remember in 24, he already talked about heterosexual immorality. Now he talks about homosexual immorality. He points to the unnaturalness. The fact that you're leaving the natural for the unnatural. You're leaving the knowledge of God, which is natural, for the unnatural. The fact that God does not exist in their minds. But the part everybody struggles with is this idea of receiving within themselves... receiving within themselves the penalty of their error which was due. What's that mean? What does it mean? Well, three views really.
One view says that the penalty of the error, that word error, by the way, means deviation. The fact that they're uh, going against what is uh, natural. That they are not satisfied. There's no satiation. Homosexual relationships are not typically monogamous. So, it's possible. Proverbs chapter 5 seems to tell us that there's the possibility of losing your, your vitality, sexual vitality, as a result of, of sharing your fountain with whomever. The Bible says it should just be you and your wife. But I think it'd be pretty hard not to see that what he's talking about existed in those days and today as well, and that is sexually transmitted diseases. Every other sin you commit is outside your body. Lying probably won't give you a disease. Pride probably won't give you a disease. But sexual sin will God tells you ahead of time. doesn't tell you after. By the way, this Bible was finished before any of us were born. It was there. Written on the pages so that it could be understood that there is something bigger than me. And then if I reject that something bigger than me and I suppress the truth and I pervert the truth, then the next thing I'm going to see is the perversion or depravity of my life. Listen. Homosexuality is not a sickness, it's a sin. And that ought to be encouraging because sin can be forgiven. And we can be delivered from the grip of sin. It doesn't mean that we won't ever feel the pangs or the call. But it does mean that we can be set free of the power of sin. Look... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, that's sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Anybody left out of that list? And such were some of you. Listen to what he said. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God sets us free from the power of sin. He sets us free. Then in verse 28, as he continues, it says, Now, and when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up. Third time. God gave them up again. He gave them over to what? A reprobate mind. A debased mind. The next part, not just in a sensual depravity, but a mental depravity. The depravity of our minds. We reject the revelation of God, suppress the truth, pervert the truth. Not only will the depravity in our lives be, uh, can be of a sensual nature, it can also be of a, a mental depravity. God gave them up to a debased, depraved, or rejected mind. It's a natural decline. Of the depraved mind. Look at what he talks about in verse 29. And see how they're divided. First, being filled with all. Being filled 
with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, and maliciousness. These are things that the depraved mind is filled with. But then he goes on to say, not only filled with that, but full of the next division, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and evil-mindedness. He moves from there to describe the people. You could say they are, before the next phrase, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. And then the last part, every single word in the last part in the Greek has the word ah before it. It means without. Every single one of them. They are without what? The scripture says they are undiscerning. They are without wisdom. They are untrustworthy. Promise breakers. They are unloving. And the word for loving there is storge. Storge is familial love. That's love within a family. That means parents don't love their kids. Kids don't love their parents. They become unloving in the family unit. Unforgiving without forgiveness. And unmerciful without mercy. The mental depravity of a man. But then as we see, Scripture moves from there to the ultimate depravity. Listen. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, (coughs) that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice it. Man reaches his lowest point in his depravity when he applauds those who give themselves to sin. Delighting in the sin of others. Delighting in the sin that others are a part of. It's a sure way to become even more degraded as the downward spiral away from God continues. Millions of people sit in their living room Turn on TV so they can watch debauchery and violence, deceit. And they all applaud what they see. Makes little difference whether it's real or portrayed. The attitude of the heart is the same. All sin moves us downward. Individually, socially, culturally, all sin moves us down. No one during this downward spiral of the rejection of the revelation of God can say, I'll just sin this far and no further. Just this far, no further. So, what shall we say to these things? Romans chapter 13. Fortunately, Romans doesn't end in chapter 1. Just painting for us the backdrop. Before we see the beauty of salvation, we have to see the need for a Savior. Romans 13, 11-14, listen. And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. Doesn't it seem dark as you go through this section of Romans? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. 
Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness or lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on Jesus. Look, I don't have time to go too crazy, so I won't. But listen, salvation is all about being found in Christ, not making yourself good. You can't do that. It's choosing to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, who is good, who is righteous, who is holy. And being found in Christ, I become righteous and holy. Though here on earth I still struggle in my sin nature, He promises to continue the work of salvation and sanctify me. Help me little by little to become more and more holy. It's all about faith. In Him. Listen, Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, seeing the darkness of the days of men who had rejected the revelation of God, he said this, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. You remember the day Jesus, or the, the night Jesus was born, it was dark, right? And a bright light, a star, shone the way to where He was. And the angels appeared to the shepherds and they sang, Glory to God, good tidings to you and to me. For on this day a child is born. Who was that child? What's he called? The light of the world. The world is living in darkness, has seen a light. If we reject the revelation of God, the downward spiral is what we'll see. Look, if you can read Romans chapter 1 all the way through what we just did, and tell me that I cannot turn on a TV and find that on the news the entire time the news is running. I won't see that. I won't see those attitudes. I won't see those things. Or if I flip over to a movie channel, I won't see movies that portray those things. Or the talk about them. God says, this is a downward spiral of man, depraved man apart from God. This is where he goes. But in Ephesians 2, he says this, You he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Guilty, just like everybody else. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Father, as we open Scripture this morning and we see, Lord, Your declaration of the guilt of men, that though they should have known Me, they don't. They suppress the truth, pervert the truth, pervert their lives, and their depravity dips Sensually, mentally, until ultimate depravity where all they do is root on whoever 
is in sin. And that's not the end of your declaration of guilt. One whole chapter to go. God, as we look at it, we're reminded, Lord Jesus, of where we came from. We're reminded of the place that we once were. For we were once darkness, but now we are light. Because Jesus is the light. And I am in Him. And if I am in Him, then I must also be light. That you translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Maybe today some are still here in this position of guilt. Just listen. No one who practices these things will inherit the kingdom of God. There is no salvation in any of these unrepentant sins. Any of them. The only way out is through Jesus Christ who gave Himself for me. He is my lifeline that I cling to. He is that which I grasp, that I put on Christ. Because when I put on Christ, I'm no longer that one who is so weak and unable to walk the walk. Now, His righteousness is imputed to me and I have been given right standing with the God of the universe. That is available to everyone, to whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord. Upon whosoever would repent of their past, their life, their their depravity, and reach out for the one that gives life, the giver of life. See, God wouldn't tell us any of this if He didn't love us. Because He loves us, He tells us, look, you're headed in the wrong direction. All you have to do to get right is to get in Christ. And all you have to do to get in Christ, you don't have to be good, you don't have to change your entire life, you have to simply repent. My life is wrong. I need your life. Jesus said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. God is calling you. All you need do is call out to Him. And He will save. God, as we just come to You and we seek Your anointing and blessing on this time, Father, those of us who are of the family of God, we've got a job to do. we got lights to shine. We don't need to tell someone about their sin. eh? That part's real. We need to tell them about Jesus. What Jesus does. Make us men and women willing to do so. And be glorified in us this day as we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.